Greetings and welcome to the New Books Network, the African American Studies channel. I'm your host, James Stansel, and I would like to tell you about the author of the book that we're going to be talking about today. Her name is Britt Russert. She's an assistant professor in the W.E.B. Du Bois Department of Afro-American Studies at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. And her book is Fugitive Science, Empiricism and Freedom in Early African-American Culture. Really enjoyed talking with Britt, and um, you know this is a really interesting book. It's going to be an area that may be new or different from some for some of you um, listening there. You know, it's Martin Delaney, Frederick Douglass, Sarah Maps Douglass. Some of these names you may be familiar with, some of them you may not be. But did you know that they were fighting the good fight, trying to prove that African Americans were not inferior, and just being engaged in scientific pursuits in general. And that's what Britt's talking about in her book, Fugitive Science. We had a great discussion on the book, and I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation. And I'll forgive the fact that she is a Duke University graduate. Go Tar Heels. So sit back, enjoy, and listen to the interview with Britt Russell on her book, Fugitive Science, Empiricism and Freedom in Early African-American Culture, on the African-American Studies channel of the New Books Network. Greetings. Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm your host, James Stansel, on the African American Studies channel. Today I have the pleasure of being with Britt Russert, and she wrote a book published by the New York University Press. It's called Fugitive Science, Empiricism, and Freedom in Early African American Culture. Hello, Britt. How are you doing today? Welcome. I'm doing well, James. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Welcome to the New Books Network, the African American Studies channel. And everyone, I want you to know that Britt Russell is an assistant professor in the W.E.B. Du Bois Department of Afro-American Studies at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Britt, that's a mouthful there, but you you, you earned it all. So we want to make sure that we get that correct. So your book, Fugitive Science, you know, I I research my my, uh, you know, my my books and the authors that I want to interview on the show. And I I saw your book and I was like, well, this looks really interesting and i love the cover which we'll talk about the cover you know um briefly as well but i was like you know i saw this book and i said you know Britt, maybe she's related to tim russert you know whom i love i love and mm-hmm. so i was like well i want to get you on the show and, and talk about your book but before we kind of get into some of the details about your book i know the listeners like to know a little bit about uh the researchers the scholars and the writers so Britt, can you tell us a little bit about your background as a scholar Sure, I'd be happy to. So I guess my first inclination is sort of to start with the origins of the book itself, with, which probably gives you a sense of how long it, I have lived with that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold back, restrain myself from jumping into the book. Um, so let's see. Um, I was born and raised in a small town outside of Buffalo, New York. Okay. Um, pretty early on, I thought that I would go to medical school. Um, I was the first person in my family to go away to college um, and sort of have that experience. Um, I went to Allegheny College, which is in northwest Pennsylvania. It's a small liberal arts college north of Pittsburgh. Um, And so, yeah, I thought I would go to med school. I thought I would be a physician. And then I think in my junior year of college, I did an internship at the local hospital and the first time that I saw blood, I passed out. <laughs> Just on the ground. I still passed <laughs> and out. I coming to, and after I came to, I remember thinking, 
wow, I don't, I don't know if this is the exact, <laughs> the, the correct, you know, kind of career path for me. Good call. So, so I, I, I was doing a bio major, but then I was also taking English classes. And I was also really interested in um, gender and sexuality studies. And I started to realize that I was mostly interested and really interested in, in a kind of cultural studies approach to science and medicine. Ah. So I took a junior seminar um, with Professor David Miller in the English department um, at Allegheny. On, I think it was on literature and medicine rather mm-hmm. than literature and science. Um, and when I went off to graduate school, I went to Duke University in the English department to work with um, my mentor, Dr. Priscilla Walls, um, who's someone who's, you know, her work is really at the intersections of um, thinking about science, identity, and the humanities. Um, and at that point, I really thought that I would be doing a project on um, early 20th century sexology and thinking about um, mostly science and sexuality. Okay. Then when I got to grad school, moving to North Carolina did kind of opened up my world in all new kinds of ways. That was my first time in the South. Um, I was really struck by um, how, well, it was just very different from where I grew up. (laughs) In my graduate training, I started to realize that my my queer studies, my queer theory was pretty white and that I needed to think more intersectionally. So that was a big breakthrough in graduate school. Um, I started taking classes in African-American studies. Um, and so that's really how I shifted, uh, still thinking about gender and sexuality studies. That's still definitely a framework for my work, mm-hmm. um, sort of focusing a little bit more in, in black studies and African-American studies. Um, and then, so for my dissertation, I was really, again, it was partly about being in North Carolina and I was really struck about how, and James, you know, this area well, how that, you know, that, that area, the, the plantation still lives on there. I was really struck about how the plantation still kind of shaped race and space and landscape and labor and all these profound ways. So for my dissertation, I actually ended up writing um, a project that was about thinking about those afterlives of the plantation. Mm. I really was focusing on regimes of plantation science. Uh, So my PhD is actually in English. I teach in an interdisciplinary black studies department, um, but my PhD is in literature. And so I was really trying to think about regimes of plantation experimentation and literature and culture. Um, But the book that I ended up writing is actually not, um, it is not my dissertation. So I don't say that I don't, I don't necessarily think this is a good model for any graduate students out there who may be listening. This is maybe a little idiosyncratic. Um, But my dissertation was, and I'm happy to talk more about it, but my dissertation was in many ways a really top down project. It was Mm -hmm. really a kind of, these pretty brutal regimes of experimentation and race science. There were very few sort of glimpses into histories of resistance and and histories of um, kind of thinking about race and science from the perspective of people who were being exploited by these sciences. Um, so, so my dissertation was a kind of top-down approach to thinking about race and science in the 19th century. Um, and then I'm, I'm happy to talk more about it if it would be mm. of interest. I had a couple of research discoveries after I defended my dissertation that made me realize I actually needed to flip things for the, for the book. Ah. Well, that dissertation may be yet another book that we could come back yeah. and talk. Stay <laughs> <laughs> tuned for book two. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, we, you, you could always come back to the African-American Studies channel, Brett, and we'd love to talk to you uh, again. That wow. would be great. I love it. 
Well, that's a that's an interesting path, and you know, I'm of course, as you mentioned, I'm a little biased about North Carolina because that was <laughs> right. where, that was where I was uh, <laughs> that was where I was born and, uh, and and raised. So I'm glad that you enjoyed it, and I'll forgive you for attending Duke University, as, <laughs> as I am a, a Tar Heel, as anyone who listens mm-hmm. to the New Books Network, the African American mm-hmm. Studies Channel, <laughs> knows very well. We just won the championship, but <clears throat> basketball, but I'm not going yeah. I'm not going to get into that. Well, thank you for for sharing, Brett. It's it's really interesting to to hear, you know, you talk about how you got from upstate New York, um, you know, and, and got interested in, in these things. I, I mean, I think that's awesome. And you know, you're an English person, but you know, you work in an inter- interdisciplinary area now, and and certainly there are m- many young Brits that could become you. You know, it would be interested <laughs> in things that that you're interested in. So I really always love to hear, you know, the uh, the scholars share their research interests and you know, kind of what led them. Uh, to to where they are. You wanted to be a physician and look, you know, where you are now, and you're certainly happy with the things that you're doing. And you just certainly, you absolutely did great work with uh, your book, Fugitive Science. So Thank definitely wanted much. to applaud you on that. And for those young folk listening, you never know where you're going to end up. You may have this idea of what you want to do going into college. And by the time you get out, depending on who you interact with or some professor or some course that you take or some experience like Britt had, <laughs> you may <laughs> you may end up changing what you want to do. I always tell people I used to want to be a film director after I saw those Spike Lee movies. <laughs> and, you know, I'm still into film, but you see what I'm doing now. Yeah, I'm, I'm an educator and, you know, and I, I'm a journalist. And so thank you so much, Britt, for, for sharing your, your personal story with us. And who is this Britt that I'm speaking of? I'm speaking with the author of Fugitive Science, Empiricism and Freedom in Early African-American Culture, the author is Britt Russert. She is the, as you heard her mention, an assistant professor in the W.E.B. Du Bois Department of Afro-American Studies at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. And her book is published by New York University Press. So shout out to New York University Press for publishing Dr. Russert's work because it gives opportunity to talk about her research interests and her outstanding scholarship on the New Books Network. So. We know a little bit about, about you, Britt. Let's talk about that book a little bit. But, you know, before we even get into it, let's talk about that book cover. It's so Oh, yeah, cool. let's talk about it. So, you know, it's, you know can you tell us, is, is this something that, that you drew here? If so, that would be awesome. If not, no. that's awesome. <laughs> so I think the designer did a, a beautiful job. Oh, I was just thrilled when I saw it. Yeah, I mean, there's a yeah. – so the but, – but, you know um, – the real thanks for this image is is um, owed to Sarah Maps Douglas. Ah. Um, so she's the um, she is featured in the fifth chapter of my ah. book. Um, so this is a painting. This butterfly image, this floral and butterfly image, is a watercolor color painting by Sarah Maps Douglas. Um, she was a, a member of a prominent black family in antebellum Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. She was an instructor at the Institute for Colored Youth in Philadelphia, and she also received training at the Female Medical College in Philadelphia. Um, so she's a really kind of fascinating figure. Um, and uh, I didn't realize that. And so, and then her fuchsia, which is another floral painting, that's on the back cover. And I didn't have any idea until I saw the book okay, for the first time yeah. that there were going to be two of her paintings on the cover. Um, I was just thrilled by that. Um, so you've got her butterfly and her fuchsia on the back. Right. And those images come from um, a couple of friendship albums that are collected at the Library Company of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and these were albums, sort of like scrapbooks. They had original paintings and poems that were collected by um, women in the in the antebellum period in the 19th century. Um, and there was a network of black women in Philadelphia who were circulating these scrapbooks. And she made contributions to a few of these scrapbooks. Um, they're digitized. You can look at them online through the library company Holdings. Okay. Um, and there's been in and. You know, there's been some great work done on Douglas herself. And in my book, I build on the scholarship of Erica Armstrong Dunbar, who's mm. written about her and has written about this network of women right. and Jasmine Nicole Cobb, who has a great book on her. Um, I'm sorry, uh, uh, some material in her book about sure, Douglas, sure. about this kind of coterie. But I really wanted to focus a bit more on her medical training um, to investigate her science teaching. And Douglas was really amazing because she was responsible for um, educating um, and providing sort of science instruction for generations of, of black women right. um, wow. and girls in Philadelphia. So she's a, sort of really at the heart of this project. And so, you know, we know that this is an audio podcast, but if you're interested in seeing the cover of the book, of course, you can purchase Brit's book, and that would be the easiest way to see the uh, cover of it. But uh, if you go to the New Books Network African-American Studies channel page, the blog page, you can see the cover of the book. And, of course, you can click right through from there and, and purchase Brit's book. You can also see some information about the, the book there that, you know, that I'll write up. Um, so you can learn more about Brit and what the book is about. And this is a beautiful cover. You know, you can go to the uh, New York University Press page just to see it, you know, as well. And it's a beautiful cover and, you know, it, it definitely draws you into the book and you can see Brit's wonderful scholarship on the inside once you go, uh, you know, past the cover there. Yeah, I love this cover, Brit. It, it really drew my attention to the to the book. And so, these and before I forget, yes, and just like Britt said, you can go to the Library Company of Philadelphia, right? And you can look at these images online, correct? That's right. right. So the albums have all been digitized. You can look at them right online, which right. is great. In the digital collection. So I wanted to mention that too. So for our listeners who wanted to see more of Sarah Maps Douglas or some of the you know, the other folks that you mentioned, you can go right there and, and do it online. And so did you actually choose uh, these images, Brit, or was it chosen by the publishing company? And even the, the title, was that your title? Because, you know, people like to know that, too. They, they assume that when you write books sometimes that you get to choose and you get to do everything. Sometimes it works that way and sometimes it doesn't, right? So the, I think the, the press looked at the interior art and picked out a couple of images that they thought right. might work well for the cover ah. and then kind of together selected that image. Okay. Um, and I'm really glad that we did. Uh, let's see, the title, I think... Um, early on, I think I was going to call it radical empiricism and then <laughs> certain ideas related to fugitivity and thinking about, um, a kind of, and I'm happy to talk a little bit more about what I mean by fugitive science. Oh, yeah. But I sort of started to realize, I think that would kind of pop in a certain way mm -hmm. and would also kind of, um, hopefully sound interesting for a more popular audience, but mm -hmm. there's a really robust scholarship around kind of, um, thinking about fugitivity both historically but in more contemporary terms in African-American studies. And so I sort of wanted to kind of think about science within those conversations okay. about fugitivity. Okay. So I kind of think about fugitive science as a sort of science on the run in the 19th century. <laughs> um, and I use it to think really practically about the forms of science, um, experimentation, and use of scientific tools that escaping slaves may have used, Right. right? their kind of journeys north or their um, escapes from slavery. 
I think about it in terms of how black intellectuals were really enthusiastically um, engaging with different forms of natural science. Mm -hmm. um, and this was the real kind of surprise that that sort of accounts for that shift from the dissertation to the book um, was that when I was done with my dissertation, I started to do some research in antebellum black periodicals mm -hmm. to see what um, what editors and contributors were saying about a kind of um, rise of a certain form of race science in the antebellum period that was being used to kind of, um, you know, justify um, rampant racism and then also to sort of uphold the slave system. Mm -hmm. And what I came across was really surprised me that there was a there was largely um, a pro science discourse, a kind mm -hmm. of enthusiastic discourse around natural science in antebellum black periodicals. You saw the critiques of um, the American School of Ethnology mm -hmm. critique um, and, you know, sort of challenges to forms of, of racial science and racist science. But you also saw treatises and I, I, you know, I sort of discovered treatises on astronomy, on physiology, even on phrenology, which mm -hmm. today we probably consider a kind of pseudoscience right, or something right. like that. But and this just <laughs> really, really surprised me. Right. And I started to realize that there was something like a, a kind of, you know, what I call a fugitive science. There were black intellectuals, writers, performers, you know, people on the ground who were interested in how um, emerging forms of science and natural science in this period um, which some scholars call a second scientific revolution in this period, mm. they were really linking it up to um, kind of emancipation struggles. Wow. Um, so it's sort of a, the book is a kind of more of a, uh, more so than in the dissertation, it's the, the book is a kind of history of racial science from below. In mm -hmm. the period. That's, a, that's a great way to describe it. And for, you know, a lot of folk who, you know, going to read your book or hear us talk, these are going to be all new people to them. That's right. That's great. There's some, you know, there's some usual suspects in there. So you'll find Frederick Douglass is in there. Yeah. Uh, maybe some of your listeners will know Martin Delaney, who's right. a black activist. Um, Henry Box Brown oh, yes. uh, who was famous from escaping um, from slavery in a mm -hmm. box where right? he was sent through the post uh, kind of uh, private postal service. I'm in the antebellum period, but it's true. There's there's some deeper cut figures, and there are definitely some some figures that I'm really excited about um, introducing, you know, to, to an audience. Right. Um, so Abs Douglas, um, Robert Benjamin Lewis is another figure from my book, and Hosea mm -hmm. Easton. These are some of the kind of lesser known figures of the book. Right, and you know, and their their work was very important. So you know, thank you for highlighting you know, some of the things that they did in, in your book. And, you know, you mentioned like some of the names, you know, Delaney and, you know, and Douglas and Henry Box Brown, who's always been one of my personal heroes, you know, when I first learned about him, <laughs> yeah, he's you know, in, in college, you know, and then just the Richmond connection, you mm -hmm. know, you know, and, you know, and, you know, I'm you know former K-12 educator. And so that was one of those, you know, those areas I emphasize with the students. Say, hey, this is someone from right here. In Virginia, yeah. you know, that mailed himself up to, you know, Philadelphia. But, you know, people may be familiar with some of those names, but may not be familiar with their their scientific work or, you know, or, you know, trying to disprove some of those, you know, just racial science things that you talk about, Britt. So, mm -hmm. you know, so definitely, you know, even if you're familiar with some, you know, a, a Delaney or, a, you know, a Box Brown or a Douglas, you may not be familiar until you read Britt's book. You know, about some of the, you know, the other different contributions and, and the fights that they did as being people who were engaged in this mm -hmm. fugitive science. Right. So, again, kudos to you. I mean, it was really interesting to me. I was learning some some things that I didn't know <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. that, I, you know, that, that I didn't know about. 
And particularly, you know, I was really drawn to Sarah Maps Douglas. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I thought that was, you know, was, was really great because I was not as familiar with her work myself. Mm-hmm. And so what is this book we're speaking about? We're talking about fugitive science, empiricism and freedom in early African-American culture. So black folks from a long time ago, they did more than just run and, you know, take that whip to the back. They were actually, you know, in, engaged in political activities, as we know, but also scientific pursuits, which, you know, Britt talks about here in her book. And the book is published by New York University Press. And Britt Russert herself, Dr. Russert, is an assistant professor in the W.E.B. Du Bois Department of Afro-American Studies at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Right. So we want to make sure we give you all your propers, even though it's getting to be summertime or moving into the uh, <laughs> after spring semester. You earned it. So we're going to make sure that you get it, Dr. Russell. Thank you very much. All right. And so, yeah, thank you. You know, you kind of summarized a little bit about what the book was about and, you know, and, and some of the, uh, uh, you know, individuals and, and, and folks from history that, you know, they can encounter in your book. But, you know, if there was one person or two people that, you know, really kind of stood out to you or that, you know, really attracted your attention or that you really, you know, felt is important for people to kind of know about or, you know, just your personal favorites, I guess. Could you share some of those folk with it? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's actually a really tough question. (laughs) I mean, I gave my shout out to Sarah Maps Douglas. I'll just rate that. One other thing to say about her that, you know, she taught far into her retirement. And even Mm. after she retired from the Institute for Colored Youth, she was still teaching in the parlor of her home. So I spend some time in the book trying to speculate and figure out, like, what she was saying in in the kind of spaces Mm. of the parlor, what, what, you know. Um, And once you get to thinking about black women's engagements with fugitive science, I had to start looking in different spaces, right? So I Mm. had to start looking in classrooms and parlors and, and, um, these kind of more private spaces. And, you know, there's not as many documents and records that no. would account for what happened in those spaces. So I have to take some sort of speculative leaps in that chapter with, mm-hmm. uh, with Sarah Maps Douglas. I hope that I do so responsibly, but I really like those parts of the book when I try to think about that. We know that she assembled a cabinet of curiosity, right, mm-hmm. that had scientific specimen in it, and we know that she transported it from, to a different, couple of different classrooms. So I like to sort of think about that it was also in her parlor, possibly. And, you know, something that's really fascinating about her is that it's pretty clear to me that, you know, in the antebellum parlance, she was teaching physiology and anatomy, mm-hmm. right, and hygiene, especially. Mm. I think she was really teaching sex ed, right? That that was <laughs> part of what was probably happening in her parlor was about mm-hmm. teaching women um, about their bodies, and, to, and, and so that that is really fascinating to me. So I think I think there's a lot more to be done with Sarah Maps Douglas, mm-hmm. um, and so I hope that that people will enjoy that part of the book. But for any other researchers out there, I think there's 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 much more to do in terms of her. Um, Delaney, Martin Delaney. I mean, he's oh, yes. he's a wild guy. He he's he was controversial in his own day, and I think the kind of force of his rhetoric, um, his kind of satire, his wit, mm. really right, really shines through to us. Even you know, reading as twenty first century readers, so he's he's always a favorite for me. Um, oh, yeah. He's the reason I gave you a narrative of how I sort of came to African American studies, but mm-hmm. he's actually the reason why I became a ninth. Ah. Um, when I read Martin Delaney's novel Blake. Um, which is this novel from 1859 that's about this escaped slave who attempts to sort of upstart a, a kind of regional and hemispheric revolution in mm-hmm. the antebellum South, right, um, in the antebellum period. Um, it, it's such a wild, weird, wonderful novel that I just, 
really wanted to devote a lot of my career to it. So, <laughs> uh, so that text continues to sort of um, be really, really important for me. Um, and that's really another text that's sort of at the heart of this book. And what was really interesting in learning more about Delaney, you know, Delaney started medical school at Harvard Medical School. Mm -hmm. He was ousted by the student body and by the faculty there, um, but he had some medical training. Um, and I have a sort of pet theory that the thing that really radicalized Delaney was actually this experience mm. of access to medical education and then being swiftly excluded from that experience. Mm. Um, so I try to re-narrate some of the things that we know about his life mm -hmm. through engagements with science and medicine, because I think it's actually more important than um, scholars have often highlighted or, or um, thought about with respect mm. to Delaney. And then the other kind of real kind of light bulb moment that happened for me in my research was when I started to look at the actual serialization of Blake in the mm. Anglo African magazine, which is where it was published right. in the 1850s. And that was a magazine that was filled with political treatises, but lots of science. So mm. original statistical works. And this was a, a black magazine. It was a magazine um, composed of contributions um, by black intellectuals for black readers, right? I think about it as being kind of like the black New Yorker of the antebellum. <laughs> um, and what way to think about it. was Delaney's own writings on astronomy were being published right next to installments of the novel. Does that wow. make sense? So it was, this was just like, there's always questions, you know, when we think about histories of reading, there's real problems that you can encounter when you try to look at periodical literature, because there's always the question, did someone actually read this or did they just use this to line a bird? Ah. Right? There's real questions in this period about how we understand, how we measure, how we understand readership, right? Mm -hmm. People actually read this. Well, in this case, anyone who read Blake in its serialized form, mm -hmm. would, if they looked at the other page, the <laughs> page, they would have seen Delaney's own writings on astronomy, if that makes sense, right? Yes, so, right. like, and at that moment, I realized, wow, this seems kind of strange that scholars have not fully accounted for the role of science in that literary text, mm. even the fact that Delaney's own writings on astronomy appeared next to it. So, so I really that. wanted to start, and that for me... Delaney in that way really captures what I think of as the kind of um, interanimations between black science and black literature in this mm. period. That's one of the kind of major interventions I hope of the book is to show that there was much more um, kind of connection and cross fertilization mm. between what we today think of as being sort of literature and science. Right. And I'm sure that Delaney had that uh, medical school experience and was interested in medicine. I'm sure that was since you like medicine at one point in your life as well, right? Yes, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> kind of kindred spirit. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was introduced to Martin Delaney in an African-American, uh, early African-American uh, political theory class and, you know, as an undergraduate at, at UNC. And so, uh, yeah, I've, I've been a big fan of Delaney myself uh, through the years. Of course, my experience at UNC was a bit earlier than your experience at, 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 <laughs> at, at, at Duke. Um, you know, I think, yeah, just look, looking at you there, Dr. Russell, I could tell that you were probably a few years behind me. <laughs> Maybe probably just a couple, James. Just, <laughs> not, not, many, not, not many. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the book I'm here with Dr. Britt Russell, and she's explaining to us, you know, about her book, Fugitive Science, Empiricism and Freedom in Early African-American Culture. The book is published by New York University Press. 
and we're here on the African-American Studies channel, the New Books Network. And Britt is an assistant professor in the W.E.B. Du Bois Department of Afro-American Studies at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. So she's, you know, shared some stories, you know, about some of her personal favorites from, you know, from the book and, you know, some personal insights and some connections and potentially some areas of future scholarship, too. We may be seeing some more from Britt. In some of these areas, I can kind of tell, Britt, you, you, there's more there. There's more meat there that you want to uh, to explore. I tell you, I would love to see a Sarah Maps Douglas movie. Or, you know, yeah. Or oh, so like would that. I. Yeah, maybe. It would be amazing. Yeah. So, a movie oh, about that that group of black women in antebellum okay. Philadelphia would be amazing. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, kind of a, a hidden figures type situation, mm-hmm. right? Well, maybe. Uh, if someone's listening to Oprah or someone with a whole lot of money, you should, uh, you know, get get the rights, the film rights to Fugitive Science, right? Sounds good. Britt would not have a, a problem with that. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, in, in all seriousness, I think that would be a, definitely would be a great story for today's world. I could see people wanting to learn more and, 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 and you know, see that those types of things on the screen. And you mentioned the speculative parts. But, you know, part of being a, you know, a scholar and an academic is being a detective, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, and I would love to, you know, I could kind of imagine as you were explaining, you know, c- kind of some of the things that she talked about with the young women or older women, too. You know, I could kind of see it in my head. So definitely that would seem like something that would be, uh, you know, great to be visualized or teased out a little bit more into uh, you know, a bit of a historical fiction or something there, Britt. You know, hey, I'm not telling you what to do in your next work, but I would love to have you back on the show if you decide to write uh, something, uh, you know, about that. Which, when, you, when we're talking about writing and academic research, please share with the audience a little bit, you know, Britt, how long it took for you to complete this work? You know, I think it's important for them to know how long academic scholarship, you know, uh, you know, to do research really, you know, really takes and what methods that you use. I know you mentioned, you know, some of the methods that you use and, you know, using the uh, uh, that, that collection there in Philadelphia. But just just share a little bit with us about that. So um, my training was much more theoretical, mm-hmm. conceptual. Um, and then, you know, I think I also really, really had good training in graduate school in sort of cultural studies methods. Okay. But um, I didn't do much primary research. You know, I wasn't in the history department. I was mm-hmm. coming from an English department. Um, and after I defended, I was sort of swept up by what scholars call, some scholars call the kind of archival turn, right? So I think <laughs> basically you're finding more lit scholars, more um, cultural studies scholars who are actually doing work in, in archives, right, mm-hmm. with primary documents. And so that was the major methodological shift for me. So it, it ended up taking me longer than okay. I thought it would. Um, because I, I did research in a number of collections in, in archives and libraries around the country. Um, and so I guess it took me five, six years, okay. which I wow. suppose is not a, you know, half decade. It's not a, an insignificant amount of time. Um, but, you know, th- once my um, sort of focus shifted, I really just started finding things in the archives. And it was sort of those discoveries that um, prompted me to continue to do more mm-hmm. of that research, right? Um, And so in some ways, the book might be a little bit surprising for readers because, you know, I'm not a historian of science, um, even though I take a lot from that scholarship and literature. And and I'm I'm also not a historian, right? Um, But as I continue to work in an African-American studies department with historians, I find that my own work becomes a little bit more historical. Um, But I think that the book is a little bit eclectic insofar as... um, 
I've, I still have some of that theory stuff, and I, I think probably, James, you could see that. I, oh, you'll boy. see some continental philosophy in there, and I have some, I have some serious theoretical commitments, mm-hmm. um, and that is very important for me. But I also um, kind of paired that approach with a little bit more of the kind of on-the-ground research. And, right. and my hope is that it means that different readers with different readers, with different interests, mm-hmm. can come into the book in different ways, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there are a few figures. I'll add another one in there, Robert Benjamin Lewis. He's mm. some Afro-Native writer from um, from Maine in the mm. early antebellum period. Um, he writes a very early um, ethnology, a kind of proto-evolutionary um, text. Um, and I was working on his text, Light and Truth, um, for a couple of years um, before I was doing some work at the Ant- American Antiquarian Society. Mm-hmm. And I saw... Um, I saw an entry, a catalog entry I hadn't noticed before. I just thought it was another copy of this text. So I just called it up and I opened up this folder and it was a portrait of him. Wow. That, that was the moment when my own, uh, any suspicions I had about archival research sort of fell away. It was a magnificent <laughs> moment. <laughs> my training has taught me that I need to be a little bit suspicious about a belief in a certain kind of empirical method, right? Mm. That is really important for my own training. But at the same time, when you're working in this period and you're working in these archives, it can be pretty amazing when you find something that feels really new. And it was also for me a really moving moment because when you work on, on, um, the history of slavery, when you work, when you work in this field and in these, these contexts, it had never struck me. It, it, ne- it had never crossed my mind that I mm. might actually discover an image of this man. Right. Because you, you assume uh, they just don't exist. Just, you just assume that there would not be an image. Or you assume that the images of, you know, we know the kind of images of Douglas or very mm-hmm. prominent figures. But for someone like Lewis, who is not super prominent, you don't expect that you're going to find an image of a, of a, of a, of a regular person, right? Mm-hmm. Especially a, a free man of color, right, from Maine in the 1820s. So when I found this portrait of him, whoa, that was really a really, I think it was a really amazing moment in my Uh, research. All right. Well, yeah, well, thank you for telling us a little bit about the methods that you, you know, that that you um, undertook. And, you know, and I will say, Britt, you know, this book is definitely you did a great job in making it accessible to everyone. Thank you. You know, and, and, you know, for, for those who, you know, have interest, I mean, it's definitely readable. You know, and so, you know, those of you who are listening on the African-American Studies channel, New Books Network, you know, you can kind of jump in there, go to any of the different chapters where she talks about some of these mm-hmm. different historical figures, and you can learn a lot. I mean, it's certainly, you know, a- accessible. And so I could tell that you, you know, as, as well as the empirical piece that you have that English yeah. background. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks, James. You know, and part of this idea of fugitive science is about people who were interested not in some kind of abstract scientific method, but it was right. about a science in the making. It was people sort of piecing together different forms of knowledge. Oh, yes texts and entering into scientific learning, not just through medical school or lofty forms of education, but right. in many different ways, right? And so I would encourage um, anyone who has an interest in this topic to mm-hmm. do just what you said. I think that you can enter in the book in multiple different places. You can read a chapter. You right. can skip over the stuff that doesn't speak to you. <laughs> and to me, that sort of actually captures something that I find to be sort of in the spirit of fugitive science. Absolutely. Kind of get in where you fit in. Yes, absolutely. As we said when I was I was growing up. All right. And so, again, the book is Fugitive Science, Empiricism and Freedom 
in early African-American culture. And some of these names you're going to readily recognize that Dr. Russell talks about. Some of them will be new to you. So it's definitely a, a great book to uh, dive right into, just like she said. And, you know, you, you definitely will learn something new and different, even if you think you know about Delaney and Frederick Douglass and so on and so forth. You will learn some things unless you're a scholar like Dr. Russell, who already <laughs> is deeply entrenched in this stuff. You know, you will learn some things. And who is this Dr. Russert? Britt Russert, assistant professor in the W.E.B. Du Bois Department of Afro-American Studies at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Her book, Fugitive Science, is published by New York University Press. Who am I? James Stansel, your host, African-American Studies channel on the New Books Network. And Britt, I would love to talk with you all day about your work, but I know that you have some academic business that you have to get to here shortly. So thanks so much for you taking a few, you know, um, moments or, you know, some 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 of your valuable time to talk with us about about the book. But before we go, I did want to give you a chance uh, if you have any future projects or current projects or, or places that our listeners could find you if they're interested in, in knowing more about your work or your your future work. Can you share some of that with us? Yeah, I would love to. So, you know, one element of this project that I didn't get to talk about mm -hmm. is that um, I'm really interested in sort of thinking about longer histories of Afrofuturism. So um, that's what the book does. That chapter on Delaney is sort of thinking about the origins of African-American speculative fiction through its engagement with actual forms of natural science. Right. right? So in teaching and my broader research, I'm really interested in sort of bringing a more historical dimension, I suppose, to some of the um, conversations around Afrofuturism. I like all the really co contemporary stuff, too, but I sort of am interested in these kind of earlier genealogies of Afrofuturism mm. as well. Um, so I'm kind of like creeping up through the decades. So I've got some stuff, um, projects in the works on, on thinking about Du Bois's relationship to Afrofuturism. So oh, wow. um, with my colleague at um, the University of Chicago, Adrian Brown, mm -hmm. um, we are currently editing Du Bois's short um, sci-fi um, and fantasy fiction, as well as a couple of his um, crime fiction stories. Nice. So we think Du Bois as being this very lofty, highbrow intellectual, but he also really loved pulp fiction. He loved genre <laughs> fiction. He was reading. We, he was clearly reading periodical fiction and weird tales. Um, and he wrote these stories his, his almost his entire career. Um, so some scholars and readers will know Du Bois as the Comet, but he there's a lot of other stuff in the archives and his papers of him awesome. writing some of these stories. So we're going to do a, a collection of Du Bois's short genre fiction, his sci-fi and mostly fa his fantasy writings. Um, and then my next monograph is is also going to be inspired um, by this periodical that I mentioned before, the Anglo-African mm. Magazine, which is mm. another just treasure trove that I would also encourage listeners <laughs> to, to potentially delve into. Mm -hmm. um, it, there's, it's just a really fascinating publication. And so my next monograph is going to be um, all about this text um, from that periodical called um, the African-American Picture Gallery. Oh. Um, serial text that was written by William J. Wilson, who was an educator and activist in Brooklyn mm -hmm. um, in the 19th century. And um, the African-American Picture Gallery is this fantastical, wild, weird text that imagines the first museum of black art before any such institution actually exists in the United States. Wow. So it's 
virtual gallery. It basically imagines something like the National Museum of African American History and Culture in 1859, <laughs> right? But nothing like that exists and will not exist for a long time in the U.S. So um, the book is going to in- introduce readers to this amazing text. Um, and it is so fruitful and amazing that I think it can it can actually support a whole monograph. So that's my that's my next project. Um, okay. And then maybe maybe we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll return to that dissertation project to see what I can do with okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, that's at least two t- more times that our audience can hear you on the African American Studies channel, right, Britt? You're going to come back? Great. I would love to come back. Thank you All so right. much for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And so if um, and we talked about this a little bit offline too, Britt. If if people read, you know, reading Fugitive Science, or they want to know about some of those interesting things that you're talking about, can they get in contact with you? Yes, absolutely. Feel free to Google me. You can um, reach out to me at my institutional address, my UMass address. I'm also on Twitter. I'm okay. at Britt Russert, one word. All right, at Britt Russert. You know, because this, these are some interesting topics that you're interested in and that you research, Britt. So you may be getting some uh, some hits from some, from some people there. Particularly, particularly you're talking about that, you know, that, you know, we've talked about fugitive science, which, of course, I think is is very interesting, too. But that Du Bois, I can't wait, you know, for you Thank and your you. colleague to, to, to get that out. Um, you know, and um, I just interviewed a good friend um, and Andre Carrington recently. His book, Speculative Blackness. Is, yes, you know, I know that book. It's wonderful. Yeah. And so I don't know if you got to hear that podcast uh, for, for, our, for my channel, but go back to listen, you know, you know, with that, too. Because uh, it sounds like you have some interest in Afrofuturism. We can talk about more of those things offline. That's great. But for now, I'm going to let you go across the street, Dr. Russell, and, and, and handle that business that we talked about offline that you have to do. But thank you so much for finding some time with us today to talk about your book, Fugitive Science, Empiricism and Freedom in Early African-American Culture, published by New York University Press. And this podcast, we've had Britt Russert, an assistant professor in the W.E.B. Du Bois Department of Afro-American Studies at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst with us today. Thank you so much, Dr. Russert, for your time. And we're going to let you go. But please say goodbye to my audience before you go. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you, James. It is our pleasure. So on that note, we're going to let Dr. Russert get back to work. And we will see you next time on the African-American Studies channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, James Stansel. Peace and love. Okay, we're back on the New Books Network, the African American Studies channel. I'm your host, James Stansel, and I would like to give a big shout out and thanks to Dr. Britt Russert for taking some time with us today to talk about her book, Fugitive Science, Empiricism and Freedom in Early African American Culture, published by New York University Press. Britt's up there at uh, University of Massachusetts Amherst. She's an assistant professor in the W.E.B. Du Bois Department of Afro-American Studies. And I thank you so much, Britt, for taking some time with us today. I know you had to run across the street and engage in some work with your doctoral students. Um, I think it was a great interview. And I'm telling you all, check out her book, Fugitive Science. You know, it's it's written with the uh, popular audiences in mind. And you can really learn about a lot about folk from uh, history that you may not have known about who were engaged in scientific pursuits in the 19th century. So on that note, I'm going to say goodbye for now. Make sure you come back and check out some of our podcasts, some of the previous podcasts and some of our new podcasts that I'll be doing. And see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, James Stansel. This is the African-American Studies channel of the New Books Network. Peace and love.